0: Morning, everybody. It is um, good to be here again with you. Second week in a row, I count myself, and I'm sure uh, Dorrit does as well, count myself as being extremely privileged to be able to be with you uh, on another occasion, and just to be able to share in what it means to be God's people, what it means to be able to worship God and our Savior together. Last week, we uh, had a look briefly at the whole concept of God revealing his glory to us in creation. And this week, I want to think about God, how God reveals his, crea- his glory to us in the person of Christ. And our songs this morning have uh, in many ways done that for us. It was a great choice, so thank you to, to the music group uh, for that us from that celebration of our God as creator through to the worship of Jesus and the glory that we see in both of those. And it is, I think, only right and proper that um, we're going to have the joy and privilege of being able to share communion together uh, during this service—it is for me the um, the real um, central point of our worship as believers. It also reminds us that we are very much one in Christ that we come from very many different nations, different backgrounds, different cultures. And yet when we come to communion and indeed when we come to Christ himself, we are one. And I was um, just reminded of that and the importance of that as, as we were praying and as I was considering those things. And I was just thinking that at the moment, perhaps our thoughts at least for some of us, because we have friends, family, relatives, perhaps in Ukraine or the countries around who are believers and who perhaps need um, to really know the presence of God with them at this time. So I just want to ask us to, to just bow our heads. I'm just going to pray for our brothers and sisters in that part of the world. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you that uh, we are one in Christ, There is one faith, there is one baptism. Lord, we thank you that we come from different nations and we are one in our Saviour. And we just, Lord, just want to bring to you today friends, families, relatives who are in Ukraine and surrounding countries. And we pray, Lord, that those who are your people may truly know the presence of your Spirit with them those who are not yet yours, that this time of uncertainty may bring them to the one who is faithful and trustworthy and always secure. Lord, may your will be done. But above all, Lord, may your glory be seen. In Jesus' name. Amen. So this week, as I said, we're going to be looking at... um, The glory of God revealed in Christ. And I want to uh, read a few verses uh, that you will know very well. John chapter 1. We're going to read the first 18 verses of John chapter 1. And um, many of you will probably, like me, have learnt these at Sunday school and uh, now can't remember them. But you knew them at one time or other. So verse 1 of John 1. In the beginning For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. The Lord will bless the reading of his word. We're now going to play a short video on the web, the Avengers. Notice how that happens. Notice what it shows. It shows power, violence. Clear and obvious as we watch that, that now someone has arrived who is a bit different, someone who's going to make a change. Now, we all know it's, it's a little bit over the top. It's the cinematic equivalent of apocalyptic literature, but it makes a really important point. If God were to appear on earth, we'd know. If God were to appear on earth, we'd see it because this is what it would look like. This is what we would see. His appearance would be powerful. We wouldn't be able to miss it. It would be exciting. It would be decisive. The enemies would be destroyed. Thor's hammer. Mjolnir would destroy them. Just as a little bit of a side there, it's interesting that that hammer is sometimes depicted in the films with what is the traditional representation of the Trinity on its side. I'll let you make of that what you will. But just think for a moment how different the Christian story is to what we have just seen. The Christian story is not a dramatic theatrical overblown light flashing earthquake inducing uh, entry of God into the world. Here there was very little in the way of the dramatic. Instead what we have is a baby born to an ordinary family in an ordinary village, in a country that wasn't even a country. But beneath that seeming normality was something outrageous, something truly earth-shattering, something which changed the cosmos. The creator Of the universe, the creator of the one, as we have just read in John, the creator of the universe that we read about and thought about last week, which reveals the glory of God, that creator became a helpless baby. Now John's account of the life of Jesus does not start with an account of the birth in the way uh, that we might immediately recognise and definitely not in the way that Matthew and Luke do. The well-known passage that we read earlier is very different. The account that John gives is cosmic in its scope but truly human in its impact. C.S. Lewis puts it like this. He says, the whole thing narrows and narrows. We have to, in other words, go from the cosmos and the God who created it and to begin to concentrate on something smaller and smaller and smaller. Lewis goes on, the whole thing narrows and narrows until at last it comes to a little point, small as the point of a spear, a Jewish girl at her prayers. Everything comes down to that point. So John introduces us to Jesus. He brings from the, us from the cosmic to the personal. But notice how John doesn't even mention Jesus' name until verse 17. Because John starts somewhere else. He doesn't start with the birth, the incarnation. He starts in eternity past. He starts before creation, before anything that we can see was to be seen. In eternity, the word was both with God and was God. So let's not get um, confused or sidetracked here. John is clear that the word is fully God and he agrees and this will come as no surprise to us. He agrees with the rest of the New Testament in that. We are a people who profess faith in a God who is one but a God who is also three persons. And one of those persons, the word, the one here that John describes as the creator, the word is eternal. Truly God. But this one, as John says in verse 14, this one becomes flesh. He becomes a human being. He becomes Jesus. Just another little side note, I'm fond of these. Jesus was not eternal. The Word was. Jesus comes into being, if you like, at the Incarnation. Before that was the second person of the Trinity, the Eternal Word. And after the Incarnation, the Word becomes flesh and Jesus lives dies and is raised from the dead and Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God as the writer in Hebrews says we see Jesus who was made lower than the angels for a little while now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone and if you were here last week you'll notice the echo of Psalm 8, that we considered then fully God and fully human. F.F. Bruce, in one of his books, says that what made the difference for the early Christians was at least, or part of it, was at least this, that they knew there was a man in the presence eternally of God, Jesus at the right hand of God the Father. Jesus was not God merely covered in flesh. Jesus was truly human. That's much more exciting than Thor. Because that image, the pictures that we saw there, those images are merely froth and bubbles, really. They're full of sound and fury, but they signify nothing. There is no substance. The truth of God, the word, becoming a human being, Jesus, on the other hand, is solid. It is real. It is quite literally tangible people could touch Jesus but in contrast to Thor this was quiet essential to John's gospel is the theme that is introduced to us in these verses which is the theme of glory he returns to it often, and it is our theme for this morning. But what does that mean? How do you see the glory of God when that God has become a true human being? How do you see the glory when, when you look at him, that person actually seems really that much different from anyone else? Unlike Thor, Jesus did not walk down the roads of Galilee with others with lightning shooting out from his clothes. But John tells us that Jesus' followers did actually see his glory. So, what does that mean? What is God's glory? In Exodus chapter 33, we were in Exodus 3 last week, but Exodus 33, Moses talks to God. And God promises in that conversation that his presence will go with his people. He would, in other words, be God with them. And having heard this promise, now, I'm going to suggest that most of us would probably be trying to work out what on earth that Meant. and maybe Moses was trying to do that as well because the thing that he then asks of God is he says well show me your glory show me your glory and God says this in reply in verse 18 of chapter 33 in Exodus he says I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you I will proclaim my name the Lord Yahweh, in your presence, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And I think it's just stunning that God should agree to Moses' request. God says that Moses won't be able to see his face But he will experience something else. He will experience the glory of God. And that glory here is made up of four basic things. It's God's goodness. It's his name, his his very essence. It's his mercy. And it is his compassion. Glory is not lightning rolling thunder earthquakes and fire even though even though those things accompanied god's presence on the mountain god's glory is his goodness it's his mercy it's his compassion it is his very being and they are powerful realities they are weighty topics. A friend of mine described the first time that they knew that God was real, and I believe I'm right in saying that they were on a bus. The first time they knew they were in the presence of God, and how they knew was that they felt a sense of weight coming over them, of heaviness, not a depressive heaviness, but a heaviness none. The less, as though something was pressing down on them and you know i think that's exactly right the glory of god is weighty it's reflected in the word used for glory in the old testament and this is the glory that is revealed in jesus And John sums up the glory of of God as revealed in Jesus with two words. He says that Jesus is full of grace and truth. And in some ways, those words sum up what the goodness of God means. In Exodus, goodness is expanded by mercy and compassion. In John, with grace and truth. Words which encompass really important truths and aspects of who God is. Grace. Grace is one of those words which we're very familiar with and perhaps sometimes our familiarity can mean we don't always consider the depths that lie behind it. Grace, this is much more than merely God rewarding us with things we do not deserve, though that, of course, is part of it. Grace is a word which goes so much deeper. It's a word which reveals something of God's covenant faithfulness, of the fact that he will always be reliable, that he is always faithful and trustworthy. His people can always Come to him. He will be faithful, reliable, dependable, and loyal. That's part of what the grace of God means. Just part. Full of grace and truth. As Pilate said, what is truth? At the risk of becoming political, and I don't want to do that right now, but I live in a country at the moment where the concept of truth within this political sphere um, is something which I have no idea what it means. Absolutely none. And I don't think many of the political leaders know what truth means either. But truth is more than just simply Not lying. That's only part of what truth means. Truth is actually much deeper, much more important, much more fundamental than just not lying. Truth is also about loyalty, it's about dependability, it's about trustworthiness. Can I trust? you if you are a person of truth then yes I can and Jesus is full of grace and he is full of truth and therefore Jesus is totally trustworthy totally dependable what God says God does And what God says and what God does are trustworthy. And how do we know these things? How do the people who are with Jesus know these things? They knew these things and we know them because Jesus actually reveals them in everything that he says and everything that he does. We saw his glory, full of grace and truth. The grace of God, the truth of God, the dependability, the trustworthiness, the faithfulness of the covenant God who had become a human being. We saw his glory, John says. But how did the disciples see this? and Why didn't everybody see it? We touched upon this last week that not everybody looks at creation and sees the glory of God. Well, not everybody looked at Jesus and saw the glory of God. Pilate doesn't see it. We mentioned him just now. The chief priests don't see it. So what's necessary for us to see the glory of God as it is revealed in Christ, in Jesus The answer is the same as the answer we had last week. And the answer is given us quite clearly by John here in verse 12. John explains it. He expands upon this. He says that it can only be through faith. Yet to all who did receive him, in verse 12, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. There are two things that are necessary for us to be able to see who Jesus truly is. The first of those is to receive him, to welcome him, to recognize who Jesus is as the incarnate word of God, the second person of the Trinity as a human being receive him and the second John says is that we have to believe in his name to trust in him to rely on the very essence of who Jesus is the name of God as Moses tells us is part of the glory of God only the eyes of faith Those eyes that have been opened by belief and reception, only those eyes will see the glory. In Hebrews, again, the writer explains faith in this way when he's talking about Abraham and others. He says, They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. I think sometimes we concentrate on the first part of that, that faith, you know, it's about seeing those things, but even though we don't receive them, we still believe in them. But notice they saw them and welcomed them from a distance. That's faith. Part of what faith means is to bring the future reality into the present. What we know the reality is about, and bring that here to where we live and work and serve now. About bringing the heavenly to earth. Your kingdom come, as in the Lord's Prayer that was mentioned earlier. This morning, to bring the glory of God to the present where we are. Something which was also referred to in one of the songs that we were singing that Jesus brought heaven down. That's faith, bringing the future heavenly reality into the present seeing that what is future by faith is also what is present and therefore it is solid, it is real, it is dependable and it is those things because our faith is grounded in the person of Jesus. Only those with such eyes will receive the one human right that actually matters the right to be called a child of God. This is the one that we follow, Jesus. Fully God, fully human, full of grace and truth, the one who reveals the Father to us and the one who reveals the glory of the Father to us. May we this week, each of us, Be people who open our eyes of faith and see his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen.